Are we ready for the Word of God? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your Word, and I thank you that your Word always speaks to us, that your Word is the only thing that grows us. Your Word is an incorruptible seed that goes into our lives and has the potential to absolutely transform us, Lord. So, Father, I pray even today as I... As I come from my position and my perspective, Lord, that the word that is preached, you would take it and you would embed it into every, every one of our hearts, Lord, and uh, that it would speak to us, that it would grow us, that it would challenge us, and that it would change us and transform us more and more into your image, Father. Uh, in the name of your Son, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Well, this morning I want to speak to you about the whole principle of serving people. Uh, we heard an amazing sermon last week. It was my husband was on fire last Sunday, speaking on thankfulness. And um, you know, when we have a heart of thankfulness, we also our natural instinct is to just want to serve. So I just want to share on that this morning, and um, I want us to open up uh, to uh, to Luke chapter ten, and we're going to talk about the title of my message this morning is actually "Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor?" Let's open up to Luke chapter ten. And we start from verse 25 through to 37. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he, being Jesus, of course, said to him, What is written in the law and how does it read to you? Isn't that interesting that Jesus would pose that question back to this guy? Like he came asking Jesus a question and Jesus kind of put it back to him because Jesus is always wanting to communicate with us. He's wanting to hear where we're at. He's wanting to have a conversation with us. And so he challenged him and said, well, what is written in the law? What actually do you know? And how does it read to you? What's it, in other words, what's the word, what does the word say to you so that I can help you even more to understand it? Verse 27, and he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Isn't that interesting? Sometimes when we're conversing with God and God is challenging us, even in our perspective, he asks us questions, even though the Bible tells us that really he already knows what's in our hearts. He already knows what's in our minds. But he wants to have a, a relationship with us and connect with us so that we can actually express our thoughts and feelings to him. And so here's this lawyer saying to Jesus, well, um, but who actually is my neighbor? And that's a, quite a valid question. But uh, we, it also says the motive of this guy was because he wanted to justify himself. Because clearly he had some criteria on who his neighbor actually should be. So verse 30 goes on to say, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down. So I love how Jesus answers through a parable. He just starts, starts to tell a story through a story. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. Now, can I just stop and say there for a moment? First of all, we have a priest and a Levite. These are two highly esteemed people in Jewish tradition. We have a priest who represents the law and represents the, 
the religious people. We have the Levites, who are the tribe that is specifically set apart to serve in the house of God. These are highly esteemed people in the in this particular story. That's why Jesus is using them. But Jesus is also really trying to instruct us here and instruct this guy by using a Samaritan. He didn't just say any old person. He used a Samaritan because Samaritans were kind of despised by the Jews. They were looked down upon. They were considered half-brothers. They kind of believed what the Jews believed, but they didn't really. They didn't really believe in the same God of Israel. So Jesus here is using confronting language and, and a confronting. he's setting a confronting scenario up so that this guy, this lawyer, who clearly has another agenda in his question, uh, he's, he's trying to see what's really in his heart. And he's trying to explain to him and show him and hold a mirror up with the word of God to show him what the real motive of his heart is and to help him grow as a human being. Jesus never does these things to make us feel bad. He does these things. He has a conversation with us and speaks to us and shows us things in our hearts so that we will grow into becoming better human beings. And so he says, verse 33, But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn, to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. And then Jesus poses the question to this lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy towards him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Oh, I love Jesus so much. He's amazing. So here we see a picture of Jesus bringing instruction through truth to this guy who's, who's actually asking. And obviously, there's a bit of fear in him, this, this lawyer who um, is wanting to justify his actions or lack of action, uh, is wanting to justify himself before Jesus. And instead of Jesus condemning him, Jesus paints a picture. Okay, this is what true mercy looks like. This is what it looks like to be a neighbor and to look after a neighbor. This is what it looks like to have a neighbor because his question was, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers him and says, um, who, who proved to be a neighbor? So it goes both ways. We look for who actually is our neighbor, but it also goes back to how we prove ourselves to be neighbors to people. So I want to look at this whole principle today, just, just kind of briefly about serving people. Um, I, I really feel, you know, and I said it at our church birthday, um, kind of apologetically saying, sorry guys, but I feel like the first 20 years was more about teaching Brahma and I how to be good, strong leaders. <laughs> Um, but this next 20 years is going to be releasing a bunch of incredible leaders. Um, and that could be anywhere in the world, could be anywhere in Melbourne, could be, could be doing or serving in any particular way that God wants to do. And uh, we want to use our lives and our heart to pour into everybody in this church to become everything that God's called us to, to be and called you to be. But if we don't understand the heart of serving then really it's not going to be any, there's not going to be any point. Whatever we do, there's not going to be any point. Romans 12 talks briefly on this. We don't need to go there, but later on you can go back and read. In the, the first two verses of, of Romans 12 talks about uh, that we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices uh, to God. That is our acceptable service to God. If you want to know what service is to God, then it's offering ourselves to God. But it's through a transformed life, which comes through a new, renewed mind. 
And so really everything that we do as a human being and as, a, as somebody walking with God comes from a place of being transformed by God. And then from about verse 3 onwards, it starts to talk about the giftings that we might have that can be used. You know, if you have a gift of mercy, if you have a gift of leadership, if you have a gift of administration, if you have the gift of giving, and the, the, the character that goes along with those particular gifts and how to do that, if you can prophesy, if you can lead, all these sorts of gifts that it begins to talk about. And, um, but you see, there's no point in going in offering those gifts if at the very beginning, at the very core of who we are, we haven't learned what it is to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. Because the Bible says it's then that you will truly know the will of God. And so it comes from a place of complete humility before God. And that's how we're going to know what the will of God is. And once we begin to give ourselves and, and over to God and say, I want to be a living... In fact, you know what? Let's go to it. Let's, let's just read it. It's too good not to read. Let's read it. Chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. And it says this. Therefore I urge you, verse 1, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So when we give ourselves to God, when we, it is our spiritual act of worship, when we are renewed in our minds and we are transformed, then we begin to understand what the will of God is once we step out in that way. And then it goes on to say this, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I'm going to read this next little bit because there's something actually powerful at the end that I, I do want to address. Let love be without hypocrisy, verse 9 says. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honour, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practising hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, now I want you to take note of this. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, he will heap, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, but, sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Now, often we read that particular verse and we can get confused and think, why is God saying that if we want to do good and, and uh, overcome, why would we heap burning coals on someone's head? Um, you know, uh, how is that overcoming evil with good? Because that seems like evil. And I've, I've read different commentaries and different perspectives on this. And I think a lot of the commentaries I've read, I think they've kind of missed it. They've over-spiritualized it and super-spiritualized it. One of the most wonderful things that I've I ever heard about and read about, um, and I hope this is true because this is the one that makes the most sense to me, is that back in biblical times, they would live around in a village and they would be, one particular person's role was to sit around the fire at night when it would get cold and they would, they would burn the coals and heat up the coals during the day. And uh, then they would put those coals, heat them all up, put them on a bucket or something on his head, and he would carry them from house to house and give coal to each house so that they could warm their houses. And um, so this job of of carrying the coal was actually uh, an amazing job to have because they were becoming a blessing. So when I read that, it takes on a whole different thing. So if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you're giving him the ability to be a bearer of something that will be a blessing to other people. So when your enemy does something against you, be good, be kind, be merciful, be gentle, don't talk evil, bless him. Give him what he wants because in so doing, you're giving him the power. You're empowering him to be the person to put hot coals on his head and carry that around and be a bearer of blessing to other people. You know, when people are nasty to us, when people are unkind to us, and we come back and serve them with love, you know what that does? It gives them the ability to now crack down, break down their own defense mechanisms and go, you know what? I like what I see in you. I love your manner. I love your attitude. I want to be like that. It calls people into a higher place of servanthood. Isn't that amazing? I think I like that interpretation. We're going to stick with that one, okay? I think that I read one that said, you know, it causes the burning of the, the thought processes in a person's mind. And, you know, it causes conviction. It's like judgment. Why would God call judgment on someone? He's just said, don't overcome evil with evil. Overcome it with good. So we turn somebody into a potential carrier of blessing. Isn't that the best? I love that. So that's the heart of true servanthood. It says there's nothing of me, there's nothing of myself trying to prove anything. There's no sense of entitlement. There's no sense of demand. Well, I need to prove it. You know, you've been wrong. You've wronged me. You've done the wrong thing to me. I'm going to prove to you. I'm going to do this, that, and the other. No, I'm going to turn you just by my very act of serving you and loving you and giving you something practical and doing something practical for you. I'm going to demonstrate love to you and I'm going to help you become a better person. And I think that's the heart of Jesus. That is the heart of servanthood. You know, I hear... Um, so many Christians, I mean, Brahma and I have been in ministry now for almost 40 years. I mean, 20 years pastoring a church, but we had many years, probably 15 years before that in full-time Christian ministry. And, uh, you know, over the years, I, I, I hear so many Christians saying they want to be changed and they want to know the will of God, but they don't want to do the, the first bit in, in Romans 12, which is to allow themselves to be completely transformed and to give themselves as a living sacrifice. 
Um, I've seen people focus more on developing their ministries rather than focusing on the people. And then, you know, because when we focus on people, when we focus on making somebody a coal giver, we actually discover our ministry. But I find it really ugly when I hear Christians talking about, well, I'm here to, to look after my ministry. I have to find out what my ministry is. I have to know I, I need to be in this church and I need to discover what my ministry is. Well, your ministry, my ministry, is loving people, serving people, and giving to people. And in the serving, the loving, and the giving, I find my ministry. That's all Brahm and I have ever done our entire life. And we've, we've begun to walk in our We've become our ministry because we've come from that perspective. So we actually discover our ministry when we do that. And, um, you know, don't, let's not ever have the thought and the, the perspective that we have to serve our own gift. No, no, no. We serve people and then, and we serve God, and then our gift will become evident, and then we will know the will of God. And guys, there are opportunities all around us. There are opportunities everywhere. People sometimes say, why? And my thing is, well, why not? If there's a need in front of us, why not? Why do we have to confine anything to any boundaries or rules or regulations if there's a need presented? Why not? You know, I look at so many people, I know you'll probably get bored about me saying this, but as Brahma and I are getting older, it's a whole new phase, guys, okay? <laughs> um, but I see so many people our age retiring now, and you know what? So many of them without God are so bored. Well, that got a response. You obviously all know old people who are bored. They're retiring. They're, they've got itchy feet. They don't know what to do with their lives. And all of a sudden, they want to start giving things. They want to start doing things. They try and find outlets. But I feel like from the start, you young people can learn to make your lives about others and uh, to serve others rather than serve ourselves. Let's go to John 4, and I want to see how Jesus approached this. He gave the parable that we read about in Luke, and he challenged the, the question that the lawyer said, who is my neighbor? And, um, and I want to see how Jesus now actually met that need in people. So let's go to John chapter 4, and we'll see how he did it. It's amazing when you think the Bible says that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We love God. And we love our neighbors, ourselves. They're the two greatest commandments. That's pretty powerful. If we can get, a lot of people love their neighbor and they forget to love God. Yeah? A lot of people do a lot of human works, humanitarian works, and they love their neighbor, but they don't have the love God bit propelling them and driving them and giving them the absolute selflessness. But then there are other people that say they love God, but they forget to love your neighbor. And I would really question, how can we really love God and not love our neighbor? I think if we're, you know, if, if, we, if we sound like Jesus, if we walk like Jesus, if we act like Jesus, then we probably know Jesus. And so I think that's a good criteria for us to measure our own lives with. All right, so let's look in John chapter 4. And this is an awesome story. Um, I probably won't read all of it because it's a little bit too long, but basically we have a story here of Jesus coming in, coming into Samaria, and he comes in and he sits down at a well, and in John chapter 4 it says, so Jesus being wearied from his journey was sitting thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour, 
So he sees this woman. This woman comes up to him and, um, and she begins to ask him questions. And Okay, let's, let's just read it, okay? So I can give the, the fullness of it here. Then came a woman of Samaria to, to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, asked me for a drink once since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Now, once again, I want, you, I want us to understand Samaritans were like the despised group of people to the Jews. In fact, it says that Jesus was going from, he was actually going through to, uh, where was he going again? Uh, later on it says he, he left to go to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. Many of the Jews, when they would leave Judea or Jerusalem, Samaria was in, in the middle and then Galilee was on the other side. They would actually go over the Jordan River twice. They would cross the River Jordan twice just to avoid going through Samaria. That's how much they despised the Samaritans. That's how much they didn't want to have anything to do uh, with these people. But Jesus here has deliberately targeted this woman and gone to her. And uh, so it says here, verse 10, Jesus answers and said to you, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, So you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. And he said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Once again, we see like a confronting question. Just like he did with the lawyer, he's now doing it with this woman. He's, he's not trying to condemn her. Jesus never condemns her. He's trying. Remember I preached a few weeks ago about loving the truth till it hurts. Letting truth confront us. Do you realize that Jesus does that in our hearts? He confronts us all the time with truth. He speaks into the area of our conscience. He speaks into the area of our hearts. Not to condemn us is to help us to grow and cross a line so that we can push through. So that we can push through our areas. Of, and we all have it. All of us have blind spots and areas of stubbornness and areas of blockages. We just all do. And so Jesus will always have a conversation with us. He's not a dictator. He's not an authoritarian. He's a loving heavenly father who wants to coax us into growing. He wants to bring us on the journey of, of growth and, and maturity. And so he will ask us questions. And the saddest thing is when we don't answer them to him on the, on the inside of our hearts, let alone to the people around us. But if we will stop and listen and let God have that conversation with us and challenge us with truth, then the Bible says that the incorruptible seed of, word, of the word of God will actually grow in us and a crop will begin to develop. The seed of truth that is in our hearts that we sow into our lives will actually begin to multiply and do something powerful within us. So here's Jesus saying to this woman not to condemn her, not to make her feel bad. But once again, like the Bible says, hold a mirror up to her so she can see what is truthful. You know, for some people, for some Christians, it's hard to see truth. It's, it's painful when that happens. We, sometimes some Christians I know, they never grow because they always blame. They never take ownership when, when God speaks to them. 
to bring them through into that next position, to bring them through into that next breakthrough. And they want to know what the will of God is. They want to serve God. They want to use their giftings for God, but they can't get through base one, which is literally to become a living sacrifice and give themselves completely. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean I'm going to go and give myself to the tribes that are going to murder me for Christianity. No, it means I'm going to surrender my will. I'm going to die to what I want. I'm going to start submitting to my husband. I'm going to start submitting to my boss. I'm going to start submitting to the laws of the land. I'm going to start listening. I'm going to start submitting to the leaders in my church. I'm going to start submitting to my teachers at school, to the people in authority. I'm going to start listening and honoring and submitting to my parents. That's the bit. That's the transformation where we're renewed in the spirit of our mind. That's when transformation starts to happen. And that's when you learn and you wrestle with God. And we all have to do it. All of us have to do this. This is where we grow. This is how we grow. When we wrestle with God in these really confronting areas, when the Spirit of God is saying, come on, Diane, just surrender yourself completely, become a living sacrifice in this area. You know, we can do great things all over the world and all over the place, but if I can't even live in unity with my own husband, forget it. Do you get it? Like it, it, it goes right down to the very essence of who we are as human beings and how we're doing our lives. So here we have Jesus now saying to her, go and call your husband and bring him here because he wants to see what's your response of faith going to be here? What's your level of truthfulness here going to be? What's your level of honesty going to be here? You say you want living water. Everyone says, I want living water. I want to be transformed by God. I want to be, you know, I want to serve God. I want to do this. I want my gifts to be used. I want the living water. I don't want to have to come here and draw well, the well from the well again and continually get water. That's what she's saying. So Jesus says, all right, you really want fresh water? You really want the living water? Okay, I want to see, will you be honest with me? Will you actually surrender your flesh, and your, all those little structures that you've built up around your life to lie to yourself and pretend to yourself and actually be honest with me so that I can break through and pull you into being a blessing for other people. See, there's always a point. We want to step into our ministries and we want to go, ta-da, I'm here. But there's always a line that we have to cross. First with God and then with others. It's like, will I die to my own perspective and will in this, and will I just give myself completely? Will I allow the truth of the Word of God to speak me and break me and, and, and mold me and allow myself to be renewed in the thinking of my mind so that then I will find the perfect will of God? Then I will know the will of God. Woo! And then I tell you what, the sky is the limit, guys. The sky... We, could, we can do anything for Jesus, yeah? And that's why God puts us in families. He puts us in marriages. He, you know, on paper, Brahm and I are not suitable for each other. Can I just say that? We are, I'm, no, I'm not joking. We do these, these we did the Myers-Briggs test or whatever it is, and it's like, you know, Margaret Thatcher married to John Lennon. Like, it's like, you know, I am woman married to the greatest melancholy on the earth, and, uh, but I tell you what, all of that's got nothing to do with, the, with kingdom life. It's been in that, that relationship, in that, in that yielding to God, the two of us. I tell you, he is my absolute best friend. He is the love of my life. 
And um, it, it's been the best thing for growing me. It's, it's taught me about, because Brahm just speaks with a gentle voice. You know, it's taught me about the still gentle voice of the father. I have all these thoughts and I want to do this and da, 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 da. And I can't just drown him out because he speaks with a small, gentle voice. It's actually been the greatest lesson for me to learn the heart of the Father, to obey just purely because I need to listen and it will change me. And then you learn what it is to just listen to the Father in the same way and the same for him. And that's how we grow. Isn't that true? That's how we grow. And then you begin to discover the will of God. And you go, wow, now I can use my giftings to serve people because there's, there's so much less of me in this. It's more about what God wants because I'm a dead person walking. I'm not trying to build my ministry or make me look good. I just want to serve people around me. And this is the heart. We want to pour this heart into Melbourne life. I, you know, I, I, I say this again, and I'm not saying this to you guys, but I'll say this about Australia. Australia, from my, from my experience, is the hardest place to build a church. It's the hardest place to build the sort of church that we want to see built. Because there's such a sense of entitlement. There's such a, we are so prosperous. There's such a, a sense of, of, um, of uh, apathy. And just, I'll do it. I'll do things the way I want to do them. You know, you just have to read all the amazing quotes that we put out every week and you'll see a summary of the things that get we hear about from people's mouths, all the, all the little flyers every week. These kind of things, they've got to go. They've got to be smashed. And you know what? I know God can build this kind of church. I believe because it's his church. He's the one that's building it. So we want to pour this mindset and impart this kind of mindset and to everybody in our church, so that we all know what it is to give of ourselves, to be living sacrifices. So here's Jesus. He's talking to this woman, and he's confronting her and saying, okay, are you going to be honest with me? Because that will be your breakthrough. That will be your breakthrough. And the woman answers and said, I have no husband. But of course, Jesus already knew that. And he said to her, you have, said, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. And that's when she said, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. So he goes on to speak with her and he begins to minister to her. And then, of course, further on down in verse 27, it says, At this point his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. So these guys were offended. Yet no one said, What do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out to the city and were coming to him. And so meanwhile, the disciples were saying, Rabbi, eat. And he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. When I read this, I get the feeling that the disciples were a little bit out of their depth. They were kind of out of their league. They're kind of like, oh, why is he speaking to a woman? What are we doing in Samaria? Um, I want to say something, but I kind of don't think I should. Um, he's getting hungry. You know, you poor thing. You shouldn't be ministering. You're getting a bit tired, getting a bit exhausted. You know, how many times have I had people do that and say that kind of stuff to me? You shouldn't be doing so much. You're doing this and you're doing that. And I think sometimes it's because we get confronted by our own lack of serving, our own lack of giving. And so therefore we want to pull other people back from doing what they want to do. But Jesus just said, no, I'm just doing the will of my father. 
And I feel that pull sometimes. I remember when we started the church and God spoke to Brahma and I very, very clearly and, and somebody uh, rang me and they thought they were my friend and they thought they were a prophet. And they said to me over the phone, I feel like you're wrong in starting a church. I feel like God is saying that you should just be at home with your children at the moment. It's not the right time to start a church. And I remember after hanging up, I said, thank you, but no thank you. I hung up and I never um, went after that friendship again because I knew what she was saying was not from God. I knew she was jealous because she wanted that for her family. And sometimes people will try and pull us back out of our ministry because they, don't, they, they are jealous or they're, they're, they're confronted by our level of giving and our level of serving. We're not all called to do the same serving. Remember in Romans 12, it says, if you're called to do this, then do it like that. If you're called to, do, if you're called to lead, do it diligently. If you're called to give, then do it properly. You know, all these areas, they're, they're individual calling. So let's never try and dis- take anybody or distract anybody from their level of calling and what they want to give. It's their gift to give to, to, to the people around them. So he says, my food is to do the will of him and of him who sent me and accomplish his work. So these are the three things that I see very, very briefly. Number one, when we want to really serve and when we are using our gifts, and I, please hear what I'm saying here. I'm not talking about serving in church. This is not some push for you all need to start serving in church and become ushers and being part of the setup team. All right, I'm talking about serving the people out there in our lives. Because this is, if we don't get this right, we will, never, we will never serve inside the house properly. If we can serve outside, then this is a no-brainer. This becomes your passion and your life and your desire. You know, I'm so proud of my kids. Um, I wish uh, Ben was here today. He's not here today. But, um, and I wish Ebony and Jess were here as well. But just want to really honour my children that I taught them to give. Brahma and I taught them to serve, and they gave, and they gave, and they gave. I remember Jessica when she was 16, doing year 11, and, um, you know, she still headed up the kids' ministry in our, in our brand-new church. And uh, they've, all, they've all been the same. They've all given. They've all just done whatever it took. You know, Ben's written many songs. We sang half of them this morning. Um, we've done albums and all sorts of things. He's never taken one cent, which was actually probably legally his own, but it's all, the church has all the money all the royalty, songwriting uh, royalties and that sort of thing. Because we trained our kids, no, that's just, that's just what you do when you serve God. You give and you don't ask for anything in return. And sometimes it's been to their detriment, you know, but I, I see an incredible work ethic in, in Michaela and Joshua and uh, in Jessica and Ben and, and Ebony when she was a part of our church. There was a phenomenal work ethic that they had because we taught them to serve and not to think about themselves. And I'm really proud of my kids. Now, we made mistakes and possibly pushed them too hard sometimes and didn't really think about their needs um, in, in the way that possibly we could have. But you know what? All of them love God. And they still want to serve God. They're on a journey. Yeah, some of them are on a bit of a journey. But I do know that every single one of them loves God and wants to serve God. So I want to thank you, kids. You're amazing. And uh, I see that being reproduced now in the people that we're raising up in this church. And, uh, but sometimes, and this is what we taught our kids. See, this is a work ethic that Brahm and I have had ever since we became Christians. Is a serving people, number one, it's, it's never convenient. In fact, it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient to serve people. 
Um, but I would pose the question, what else is life for? What else is life for? What do you want to do? Get to 60, get to 70 and have, have nothing to do but travel around Australia in a caravan? I mean, that sounds like fun, but I'd get really bored after like the third trip. Who'd get bored? Would anyone else get bored? Yeah. Unless I went on a caravan and, and I started churches everywhere I went. Now, that could work. I mean, Brahm and I would go on holidays to the Thousand Islands and we're on this tiny little island and I'm walking around in my bathers and my sarong and we, we meet up with, with a Christian on the island, Thousand Islands in Indonesia, and I said, hey, do you pray in tongues? And he says, no. And I said, well, get all the Christians together and we're going to pray. So we got all the Christians, there were eight of them, on that little island that were part of the staff in the, in the resort. And this is an island that took 15 minutes to walk around. And I'm standing there in my bathers with my sarong and we had a revival meeting and all eight of them got filled with the Spirit. So what else are holidays for? Come on. My massage lady in Bali, Fergie is her name. That's what's written on her hat. She calls me, she calls us her pastor, her Australian pastor. And now her daughter has become a Christian, married to a Christian, lives in Australia. Like, we can serve anywhere we are. There are no walls to serving people. There are no walls. There are no boundaries. There's nothing. I hate formalism. I hate the sense that I have to look like this and do that and wear this to be able to finally serve God. No, 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 no. Anywhere you are, every, and it's inconvenient. It can be when you're on holidays. You know what? We're on holidays this time. We can't help ourselves. We ended up having a four-hour lunch meeting with a pastor from another island over a very, very, very serious um, situation to do with the morality of a senior pastor somewhere else in Indonesia. And we gave up, you know, I managed to get out of my bathers for that one. And uh, <laughs> I looked decent and respectable. And uh, we sat there for four hours ministering to this, to this guy who's part of the team that's, that's got to deal with the situation. But see, that's who we are. And so it's, it is inconvenient to serve people. But what else is life for? It's like if you want the river of God flowing through you, the river doesn't just stop and start. It doesn't say, okay, now you're on holiday, stop. Okay, now you're in church, stop. No, it doesn't work like that. It's wherever you are. It's in your workplace. It's in the shopping center. I've seen kids get filled with the Spirit when they were wagging school in Milton Shopping Center, listening to us sing many, many years ago. The river of God will flow wherever he wants to flow. The Spirit of God is like a wind. He blows wherever he wants to blow. We've got to be active and ready. So serving God and serving people is inconvenient to our plans. But when we flow with God, guess what? We get in the river too. We have the river flowing through us too. And that's a good feeling. That's a very good feeling. So Jesus was weary. It says that in verse 6. He was weary. That's why he sat down. But he still served her. He went out of his way to serve her. You know, this is how the Ambon school started. I want you to understand why we're doing Ambon. People are like, why Ambon? Why do we all have to go to Ambon? Why do we have to focus on something that's so far away? Well, you find something closer and we'll focus on it, okay? You guys find something. Go and find something we can focus on. Do you want to know how it started? Who wants to know how it started? (laughs) They're like, I better put my hand up. She's looking at me. Okay, this is how it started. That island was ravaged by persecution. They, they had people slaughtered. We've met people in 
Chris's church, Brahms Brothers Church, two young leaders now who used to be part of the murderous gangs. They were both murderers. They were the Christian murderers defending their island. It was absolutely ravaged. We went in a month after it had opened up to foreigners uh, back in early, late 90s, 2003. And everywhere was, everything had been burnt down, universities burnt down, hospitals burnt down, houses burnt down, like it, there was nothing, hardly anything left. This church had lost four of its people. They were macheted, minced to death. One young guy, the youth kids who I prophesied over, I prophesied, it's crazy, the stuff that we prophesied we saw actually happen but to do with persecution. It was crazy. And, um, and one of their elders and three of their youth had gone on a mission trip were, were murdered because of their faith. So we went in, we were so privileged to walk into this church in that environment and it was, like they never knew whether they would see each other from week to week. And... Um, and I know many of you already know the story, so I'm just saying that for people who are new. But the stories are absolutely incredible. And we went in and I said to my sister-in-law, I said, Yoti, how can we as a church serve you? That's all I said. How can we serve you? And you know what she said? We need to learn English. Teach us English. I said, okay. And that's how it started nine years ago when we did our school the first time. It came out of a heart of serving. It came, you know, love your neighbour. Who is your neighbour? Anyone who has a need, really. If there's a need and you ask, and you, you, you actually ask the question, how can I serve you? Then you be a person of your word and you fulfil it. And I'm a big believer in being a person of my word. I keep my word. So we're going to serve. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to have many other areas. There will be many other areas that we can serve. But look with the eyes of service. How can we serve a broken humanity? Because in that you will find your, your gifting. Number two, so number one, it's inconvenient. Number two, it's unpopular. Our serving, like I said before, it makes other people sometimes feel uncomfortable. People who feel uncomfortable will try and make you take, they'll start using the word like Sabbath and you need a sabbatical and you need to rest. And, you, and it's like, no, 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 no. Shake, I'm shaking those words off. Jesus is my rest, trusting in God. Doesn't mean I'm stupid and I can't, but don't diminish what I'm doing in my gifting for God. This is where the river of God flows through me. You go and find your area of gifting. It might be different to me. It's going to look very different. You might have a gift of mercy. You might have a gift of admin and you're, you're very rested in your perspective. But don't, let's not label and put onto other people what we struggle with ourselves or what, what we struggle with watching somebody else do. You know, people try and tell Bernadette and I as we get older, you need to rest more, you need to slow down. No, Bernadette and I are like, no, we've just got started. Don't tell me not to, to keep going. Like, I, I feel like that. And that's not a judgment on anyone else. That's just who I am. That's who Bern is. Do you get it? So the, the disciples got a bit nervous. Like, what's Jesus doing? I need to box him into what I think is right. He's talking to a woman. He, he needs to eat. He's got, he needs this. He needs that. And Jesus is like, no, I really don't. This is the greatest blessing for me right now, doing what I'm doing by serving this woman. All right? And so it will often offend people's perspective, uh, especially if they won't pay the same price that you would pay. Um, the priest and the Levite didn't do that. Remember in the story of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite weren't prepared to pay the same price that the Samaritan paid. The Samaritan not only went and helped him and went out of his way, but he then took him, he took responsibility for that person. It was inconvenient. He took him to an inn and then he paid for him. 
Isn't that awesome? Isn't that the most amazing story? And then we see Jesus doing the same thing, living and doing what he says. And the third thing is that it should always convey the heart of God. If we're going to serve people, we always have to convey the heart of God. In the, the parable that Jesus gave, it was all about material needs and physical needs and care, which is amazing. So looking after people comes in all shapes and sizes, comes in all different ways. And, and that goes back to really our type of gifting. You know, if you, if you have a gift of, of administration, you might get in and help someone with their administration or their ministry you might help organize their life for them and that might be your way of serving them if you have a gift of mercy you might go and buy them you know bags of shopping or you you might go and mind their children for free for five months or there's all sorts of ways we can express if you're a leader that will be your gift of how you express your I mean that's my gift my gift is leadership so I, I take it seriously I do it with diligence my role and my goal is to lead you know, but I can't be gifted in every other single area. This is my area of gifting, but I will do it to the best of my ability. Yeah? So we all have different portions and and, and we all have a different measure of faith given to us according to the gifts that God has given to us. So this is amazing. Um, But everything should convey the heart of God. You may not prophesy, but according to to your gift, you will bring a heart and a love from God that surpasses merely meeting the human needs. And um, so we see that with the Samaritan, the parable of the Samaritan. He, he brought the heart of the Father to that. He met the human need, but he brought it with a selfless love, yeah? But then what Jesus did, he brought a spiritual perspective and he met a spiritual need. See, each one of us will do it in a different way according to our giftings. Everything should always um, be according to our gift. The, 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 the greatest thing we can remember is that it's never about us. It's never about us. It's always about the people that we're serving. And the last thing is, verse 35 in John chapter 4, it says, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white for harvest. People are everywhere. All of us know somebody. All of us have somebody in our lives that we can serve. Can I start to to challenge all of us, and me included? Let's begin to ask ourselves, who is my neighbour? Let's ask Jesus, all right, who is my neighbour and who am I meant to be a neighbour to? It doesn't necessarily literally mean the person next door. It means connecting with someone, making human heart contact with somebody in your life. You know, start with, with your families. Let's start at home. Let's start by loving our husbands and our wives like we love ourselves. Love God and love our husbands and our wives the way God loves us. You know, teach your kids. Let's teach our kids how to serve. They will be better human beings for it. You know, one of the um, ugliest things I've ever seen is, um, or some of the ugliest times that I see is when Christians are very self-serving. And I'm going to end with this story and then, then we're, gonna, we're just going to pray. But I'll never forget, um, and this was an overseas uh, time of ministry, a DMS that we did overseas. And there was this particular man who was completely and utterly smashed by God. Like, absolutely, God did such a work in him. It was amazing to watch what happened. And uh, he was dancing up the front afterwards, got baptised in the Spirit, was praying in tongues and all sorts of things. 
And this particular guy was in Christian ministry, not, not a pastor or anything, but he was involved in a particular form of Christian ministry. And we went to visit him in his home, and he has a, has a beautiful home in the area that he lives in. And uh, he showed me, and it's all, it's all very full of gardens and trees and, and bushes and stuff. But then he showed me uh, the property next door. And he was telling us how devastated he was because a Buddhist family had moved in. And according to their Buddhist faith, they had taken out, they'd ripped out all the gardens, ripped out all the trees, and they were building a garden according to their belief system that told them how they needed to structure their garden. And you looked at his backyard and it's, it's forest-like and you looked at the next-door garden and it's completely bare. It was very ugly to, to the eyes that wanted to see the trees, right? It was, it was barren. And then the one next to the other neighbour on the other side, it was once again wooded and beautiful. And this is what he told me. He said, I'm going to sue. My friend on the other side and I are going to sue this guy for doing what he's done to his garden. I said, pardon me? He said, yeah, he has no right. Remember entitlement? Entitlement is the ugliest thing. He said he has no right to do this. My friend and I, my other neighbour, we're suing him. And we're going to take him to court for, for doing this to his backyard. And I stood there and it absolutely rocked me because I thought, hang on a minute, hang on. I thought you've just been touched and transformed by God. I thought you had a heart to serve God and find the will of God in your ministry. You're already operating in your gifting. But you're making everything in your life about you. You need to serve those who persecute you. You need to bless those. He had an opportunity to turn his neighbour into a coal giver. He had an opportunity to go to his neighbour and bless him and lead him to Jesus. You see, serving people is inconvenient. It tests our flesh. Submitting to truth is inconvenient. But I believe this is the heart of God that he wants us to operate from. So who's ready to start serving people? Yeah? I know I am. Let's just pray. Let's pray. See, I want us to ask ourselves the question, are we building a life that suits us or are we building one that doesn't suit us? It's a good question, isn't it? Father, I ask right now, Heavenly Father, that you would take everything I've spoken, even if I've said anything inaccurately or given the wrong impression, Lord, you can take it, Holy Spirit, and, and, and speak truth into the hearts of people right now. Heavenly Father, I pray that a heart that desires nothing more than to serve people and love you and to love people, Lord, to give to others, Father, as we would have people give to us and treat us. Lord, I pray this for myself. I pray this for Brahm. I pray this for my children. I pray this for our churches, Lord. I pray that every single person uh, in our lives would c continue to give and to pour. And I thank you, Father, for the people in Melbourne Life who I know already act in this way, Lord. And Father, I ask you to breathe life even now onto the dreams and the visions that you've put in their lives. Lord, I know of so many people in their workplace, Lord, just in this church alone, 
who are reaching out to people everywhere all the time, inconveniencing themselves, Father, being unpopular in what they're saying, but always bringing the heart of God. And Lord, I thank you for those precious people that do exactly that. But Father, I pray that you would grow all of us, that we would go into a season where this becomes absolutely natural for every single person that walks into our church, that a spirit of servanthood to people comes upon us, a spirit of and a heart that just wants to give and to love and to pour out to people around us, even when it isn't convenient, Father, that would come into our hearts. And Lord, uh, just use us uh, for your name, in Jesus' name. Amen.